This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. The Think Tank. Well, we have a most interesting show ready for today. Uh, We're, of course, in the middle of political season, and we're going to talk about the intersection of uh, religion, ethics, morals, and politics. Uh, Three very interesting guests. The first is Rabbi Bob Kravitz. He is chaplain for the Jewish and Family uh, Family and Children's Services. Jerry Lewis is an L- is a current or former, I'm not sure of that, LDS stake president, former state senator, now runs a school for homeless kids. And Rick DeGraw, one-time Presbyterian minister and longtime Democratic activist in the state. Welcome, gentlemen. How are you, Mike? Uh, getting by, getting by. <laughs> you know the the technical issues that we went through that people need not need, need not hear about. But uh, a little frazzled at the moment. But other than that, uh, question. Uh, Uh, about this. We always talk about separation of church and state, though some, especially on the religious right, have even come to reject this. But for most people, it's been an article of faith. That doesn't necessarily mean, of course, that you check your ethics and your values at the door when you get involved in politics, that the civil rights activists, say, for example, of the 50s and 60s, were drawn very heavily from the ministry. Let me start with you, Rick. Uh, You were a Presbyterian minister, something that I think might surprise some of the politicians you've worked with, at least those who don't don't know you well. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, I went to Princeton. While I was at Princeton, I had the opportunity to work with a church in my home city of Philadelphia. It was an all-black church, First African Presbyterian Church, the largest black Presbyterian church in the United States, and it was formed by freed slaves in 1823. It was a fascinating experience, and I agreed to stay there until we could find a younger black minister to take it over. I enjoyed it. I loved the people. We did uh, seven sermons a week, three on Sunday. So it was a very active church, but it was right in the middle. It was in the 1960s, so it was right in the middle of the uh, activism that was going on, of the, the civil rights issues that were all being raised, the problems that were happening. So again, it was very active, and we were able to work with both sides. We worked with the Black Panthers on feeding children in the morning at breakfasts, and we worked with the uh, conservatives uh, in the community who were questioning why all these demands were being made. So for me, it was interesting. And I went from there directly into politics uh, because a lot of I had a lot of kids in New Jersey prison system. I started lobbying the New Jersey legislature on prison issues, and they hired me as the assistant to the executive director of the state Senate. And from there, it was just two years before I came out to Arizona and helped them develop the professional staff for the state of Arizona. Uh, it was in the legislature, right? Yeah. Was it your was it your intent originally to stay in the ministry? It was my intent to save the world. And I figured out relatively quickly that I couldn't do that. I might be able to save small pieces of it, but I was more interested in the macro issues and making changes there. And honestly, politics was a relatively easy thing to step into because the politics of the church are much more complicated than the politics of America or Arizona, and they have many more pitfalls. So I thought I was pretty well prepared for it. Um, 
Jerry, uh, you were not a politician. Uh, you, this is, in fact, how I came to know you. You ran for office to defeat Russell Pierce, who uh, is now far enough back in our history, some may not remember. He was the father of SB 1070 and a number of really uh, harsh anti-immigrant uh, policies. Uh, I got involved in a minor way in that campaign, but to me, it was entirely about the, the moral issues involved in how we treat other human beings. Uh, tell us a little about your journey and what that says about what the intersection of faith and, and politics is for you. Oh, really quick, uh, just to give a quick background. Uh, at 15 years old, I spent uh, uh, three weeks in uh, the city of Tasco in the state of Guerrero, Mexico, as an exchange student. Um, and then one of their you know, young men came and lived with me for three weeks. Um, and uh, and so I got to love the, the Mexican people very well, studied Spanish uh, all through high school and first year of college, went to Hong Kong on a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, came back, started, uh, finished my master's degree, started a career here in Phoenix with Deloitte as a CPA, um, and then uh, uh, left to do some different types of work and ended up being a seminary teacher for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, out in Mesa. I uh, did that for about 14 years uh, before uh, before getting back, getting back into business. Um, during that time, I had the opportunity to serve as a bishop in the LDS Church, uh, as well as a state president in the church, and uh, had a great opportunity to interact with uh, several members, many members of what we call our, our Leahona Award in my particular state, uh, who were a large part from Mexico, but we had many from Central and South America as well. Uh, love the Hispanic people. Uh, when I was released from my calling after nine years as a state president, uh, that was right in the midst of the recall election. And I had sat for many, many months uh, with uh, other state presidents in, in the area, figuring out what to do to help our people. And uh, I was one that just sat wringing my hand, said someone, saying someone needs to step forward. And, and, and <laughs> that's a dangerous thing to say at a meeting. <laughs> Go ahead. It is. It is. And, and, and the, uh, the opportunity came calling. Um, I, I figured, you know what, uh, this uh, at first I was reluctant. And, and then the first time they asked, I actually said no. And it wasn't uh, until a couple months later in July of, of 2011 that they asked again. And, and this time there had been a lot of things happen, including a change uh, in in not a change, but an explanation of policy in, on June 11th from the church headquarters about their stance on immigration, which aligned with my personal belief that we, we certainly support the rule of law uh, and we don't we don't want a, a country of lawlessness. But at the same time, we have to look at the humanity of, of our of our laws. We have to look at what's happening to families in terms of, in terms of dividing up families. Uh, and so based on my feeling that uh, yeah, we want to make sure we have good immigration laws, but at the same time, we've got to be respectful of, of humanity. We've got to make sure we're not splitting up families. We've got to be fair. We've got to be honest with ourselves. And despite uh, despite the, the simple solution of just putting up a, a, a wall and keeping everybody out, there was much more nuance to the argument. Uh, and based on my personal belief that uh, life is is precious, uh, regardless of what uh, side of a border one is born on. Uh, I decided to enter the fray of, of politics, albeit a very short time. And uh, yeah, you ended up, uh, you really were a citizen politician. First of all, when you hear about, uh, oh, somebody, I got drafted to do this, they're usually manning the fan. But uh, from from everything I've heard about this, you weren't. <laughs> no. And 
And you, uh, two or three terms in the Senate and out, as I recall. It, it, it was just uh, just to finish off uh, that one term, and that was it. Really? So it was That's a, 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 yeah. a little over a year. Okay. Yeah. So, it would have been uh, the 2000 session. 2000 and what? 2012 session. 2012. It seemed like longer than that. It seems, well, it's, it's all blurring together when you get old. We will return in just a moment. I'll ask the same question of Rabbi Bob Kravitz about as we are talking about the intersection of religion, values, and politics here in the think tank. The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are in the Think Tank with Rabbi Bob Kravitz, Jerry Lewis, uh, LDS stake president at one point in time and former state senator, and Rick DeGraw, one-time Presbyterian minister and longtime Democratic activist. Uh, Rabbi Kravitz, we left you out of the first segment. I wonder if you could uh, comment on the on the the intersection of politics and religion as as it as it speaks your own career and, and viewpoint. Well, I'm a Connecticut Yankee by birth. And um, once I left and went to Syracuse, uh, then I went to seminary afterwards in, in Cincinnati and had my first congregation in Auburn, New York, where I was challenged by the uh, Unification Church. Um, the Moonies. The Moonies, yes. <laughs> They're a destructive cult that divides families, steals money, uh, uses the uh, ends justify the means as their uh, statement of uh, of vision. And um, the interfaith ministry that I joined up in uh, New York State said, we don't approve of this kind of of work. So they designated me as their liaison to the state, to the uh, State House, and I went down to Albany and lobbied for three years to preclude their establishing a seminary uh, that would give a master's degree in theology. Um, one of the things we found out through investigation was that the library has to have 40,000 books, according to Board of Regents of the time. And uh, they had 39,995 books of, of Moon, and they had five dictionaries. <laughs> Uh, so while I was there, uh, they didn't establish that seminary in Barrytown. As soon as I left and went down to Georgia uh, to serve two congregations there, they established the, uh, the situation. Two towns that uh, I, I worked in, in in Georgia, the issues were very different because I was in southern Georgia for my first congregation uh, in a town which today I would probably not be comfortable in. I, I, I didn't know enough uh, as a beginning rabbi, really, to to challenge uh, people uh, who were uh, voting for somebody who would drive down the street in a tank with a machine gun. Uh, when I went up towards Atlanta, it was a very different experience. And then from there to Fargo and here, um, I've always been involved in community relations, intergroup relations. My job here was with an international human rights public policy agency. And I was with them for almost 20 years, uh, working and advocating at the, the legislature. And uh, I, I remember working very closely in, with the Catholic diocese at the time. Um, he rested in peace with Monsignor Ed Ryle. Subsequent to that, uh, I've been, uh, I, I had a, a congregation for High Holy Days, a part-time congregation, which brought to 
the separation of church and state and the concept of ethics and religion. Uh, I delivered a sermon uh, on Kol Nidre, which is the night before Yom Kippur, the holiest day of our, cal- our religious calendar. I delivered a sermon that talked about ethics and morality and subsequently lost my job. It's, um, it's very personal to me to see the kinds of drivel that is being passed around as, as legitimacy. And more recently, just yesterday, swastikas appearing in South Scottsdale in nine different places, um, spewing hate and, uh, and bigotry. And that's the world we live in, where it seems to be okay to do that now. What was the content of your uh, homily that uh, that got you fired? The, the sermon dealt with um, morality, ethics, um, the significance of uh, being supportive of of, uh, of integral families and uh, not lying. That wouldn't seem to be all that controversial. There must have been something that was more controversial than that. No, it was seen as a uh, direct slam um, at the president without ever mentioning his name or his political party. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were those who uh, were on the board who thought that uh, it was appropriate on a, at a time when we were talking about repentance and uh, cleaning the slate and starting a new year. They thought it was uh, improper to talk about that because they thought it was a political statement. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Was this how recent was this? Which was which president? What year? What year were we talking about? It, it was President Trump. And it was about four, about four years ago. Uh-huh. Wow. Wow. I ask all of you uh, and you if you want to take this first or somebody else, it's, it's fine. Where do we draw the line on imposing our religious beliefs on others? And, and, and of course, it's easy to say, oh, we never do that. But on the other hand, there are certain strictures where I think values are common. We reject murder, stealing some other things. And we say and we are we are willing to impose those basics. Where do you draw the line of what where you can impose a strongly held religious belief on others? Well, it's, it's a difference between imposing it and just looking at a value system. Uh, if you're looking at a value system that talks about uh, freedom, and if you're looking at a value system that talks about the significance of human life, uh, we're all on the same boat. Uh, when life begins, changes the discussion. But the fact of the matter is we have millions of people around the world uh, of all different flavors uh, who would come to this country for sanctuary, and we slam the door because they're the wrong color or they uh, didn't have the right paperwork with them. But the humanity of the situation should tell us, welcome these people and use them. Let them add to the economy, to paying taxes and all the rest of that. And Mike, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I, I know Rabbi uh, Kravitz talking about this, but after Trump called the Pope a political pawn, Pope Francis said, A person who thinks only about building walls, wherever they may be, and not building bridges is not Christian. I say only that this man is not Christian if he says things like that. And yet the evangelical right is treating him like a god. We'll we'll, we'll pick that up when we return in just a moment in the think tank.
Mornings on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We are back with three uh, three guests. Robert uh, Kravitz is a, a rabbi in Phoenix. Jerry Lewis, a former state senator and uh, LDS member, former state president. Rick DeGraw, former Presbyterian minister, longtime Politico. Um, I have a clip that this is actually one of the origins of this program. There was a, a piece in Michelle's Obama's address to the DNC and I picked out a clip and I, I, as I was listening to this, I said, this is this is almost like a sermon of of values and ethics. It doesn't state it as a religious thing, but it, but it is, I think, a call to religious values. And, and I wanted to play it, let you listen, then we'll talk about it. Empathy. That's something I've been thinking a lot about lately. The ability to walk in someone else's shoes the recognition that someone else's experience has value too. Most of us practice this without a second thought. If we see someone suffering or struggling, we don't stand in judgment. We reach out because there, but for the grace of God, go I. It is not a hard concept to grasp. It's what we teach our children. And like so many of you, Barack and I have tried our best to instill in our girls a strong moral foundation to carry forward the values that our parents and grandparents poured into us. But right now, kids in this country are seeing what happens when we stop requiring empathy of one another. They're looking around wondering if we've been lying to them this whole time about who we are and what we truly value. They see people shouting in grocery stores, unwilling to wear a mask to keep us all safe. They see people calling the police on folks minding their own business just because of the color of their skin. They see an entitlement that says only certain people belong here, that greed is good and winning is everything, because as long as you come out on top, it doesn't matter what happens to everyone else. And they see what happens when that lack of empathy is ginned up into outright disdain. They see our leaders labeling fellow citizens enemies of the state while emboldening torch-bearing white supremacists. They watch in horror as children are torn from their families and thrown into cages and pepper spray and rubber bullets are used on peaceful protesters for a photo op. Didn't that, now I'm going to ask Jerry Lewis, that, that struck me as something could have been delivered as a sermon in just about any religious institution. I, I think it's, it's it, the words are very well chosen and, and, and certainly the principles are, are, are somewhat sound. I, I would take some issue, the idea of requiring empathy. The minute we require any kind of religious well, on anybody or impose it on anybody, we've taken away that person's ability to choose which in my faith, the ability to choose and be accountable for our choices is, is tantamount to our happiness and joy. And, and so it's, it's kind of like the discussion we're having offline uh, before the show, the, the idea of we can impose regulations that in some cases, without those regulations, uh, society would be in dire danger. But we don't want to get to the point where we're imposing every Every certain any any time have anyone has any kind of idea that we impose it on on, on the masses because uh, we take away people's right to choose from themselves and that agency that ability to choose has to remain intact when at all possible. 
So whereas we all preach empathy, we preach the idea of taking care of our brothers. That's, that's, that's in all of, our, all of our liturgy. The minute we try to force it on other people, we're treading on danger, dangerous uh, ground. But Mike, and I'll just talk from the Christian perspective. I mean, when Jesus talks about feeding the hungry and the abject poor, it's Christian. When elected officials talk about feeding the poor, it's socialism. I mean, the fact is that megachurches should look more like community food banks and less like idols to the rich and famous. Megachurches should be feeding the poor, not asking for their money. Uh, I understand that you can't impose empathy on anyone, but clearly you can suggest that people care about other people. I mean, when you talk about religion in America, you know, the, the, the uh, Pledge of Allegiance did not include under God until 1954. I was in school. I had been saying the Pledge of Allegiance, and I could not realize, I did not realize that because I wasn't saying under God, I wasn't being a, a, a good religious person, even though I went to church every week. I mean, I just don't understand how we've gone from the metamorphosis of Jesus Christ from a humble servant to now an advocate of gun rights, prosperity theology, limited government, neglect of the destitute, and fierce nationalism. That is not Christianity. And evangelicals say they're Christian. I, I believe that the, the, the Jewish faith um, has a very strong history of helping others. And the LDS faith has an incredibly strong history of feeding the poor, of helping people that are sick, of bringing people through difficult periods, of making sure family is important. We're not doing that anymore uh, from the religious side. Now, I don't believe religion should be telling people uh, who they should vote for. If they do, I think they should be taxed, uh, like any other institution. But the fact of the matter is, the evangelicals have destroyed the Christian faith in America. They have made it a faith that rich people can utilize to say, because I'm rich, God likes me. That's why uh, I'm a good Christian. They don't have to go to church. They don't have to be faithful. They don't have to not lie. They can do anything they please. That's what is sick about religion in America today. And Mike, I, don't I, strong, I don't feel strong. No strong attitude there, right. Uh, let me just interject. Um, Hebrew scriptures, some call it the Old Testament, but that's wrong. Hebrew scriptures tell us that we have the responsibility, and all three of us here, all four of us maybe, have um, used the Hebrew scriptures as a basis of religious, uh, religious teachings in our personal traditions. And there it's very specific. It says to take care of the widow, the orphan, and the stranger among us because we were strangers in a foreign land. How much more obvious can it be that we have a responsibility to each other and to say, oh, well, I can shoot somebody in Fifth Avenue and nobody will have to say boo about it. Uh, how can that be a Christian position? If somebody doesn't want to have an abortion, fine, don't have an abortion. But don't tell somebody else that they can't if they need to. If individuals have religious freedom, we'll use it. You want to go to a church, you want to go to wherever you want to go. Do it. Fine. But don't tell me in a public setting like a city council meeting that God needs to protect these people in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Right. Uh, Bob, let, me, let me ask you, because I've heard that the conservative reaction to a lot of that is 
It's fine. It would be the following. It's fine if you say you want to feed the hungry, but if you use government to tax uh, people to feed all of the hungry, there's nothing in Scripture that supports that. So my religious religious institutions just took seven point three billion dollars in forgivable PPP loans. Now those are the same religious institutions that are telling you that government shouldn't be feeding the poor because it's using other people's money. I don't believe that we should have the same level of military we have. Should I be able to say, well, let's not have any military? No, that's bull as well. Uh, you, you can't have it both ways. You just can't. And if you're looking at, at the impact of, of, of religion and politics and all the rest of this stuff, look at the, uh, the, the situation that happened last night with uh, Pompeo using our tax money to endorse his candidate from Jerusalem, which he says is for the evangelicals, even though it's been the Jewish state for five thousand for four thousand years. I mean, if, if there's ever an entanglement teetering on the blade of illegal, it's right there. And if it's illegal, in fact, it's also immoral in religious tradition. And Mike, back to your point, uh, the the idea of, of the government. Uh, taking the taxes uh, to, to to feed the poor, the and the objection of of so many. In, in fairness, by the way, it wasn't my point. I was I was restating others, but <laughs> yeah, we can blame it, you it, anyway. <laughs> to me, it, it goes it goes back to the idea of of choice. Uh, certainly, Jesus taught take care of the widows, feed the feed the hungry, the uh, the fatherless, and so forth. But he didn't he didn't force it on anybody. It was still their choice. And that's where I think we've gotten awry with with uh, the the religion and state issue is if we if we force people to to do something that they should be able to do of their own free will, we're we're again treading on on dangerous grounds. And I think that to me is is the biggest issue. There and there's examples on all sides of the. Uh, of the of the political spectrum uh, abusing their religious position or or entities uh, for their own personal purpose uh, it, it seems to be uh, in vogue right now because of the republican led presidency but i think i think if we, if we can get to the idea of let's encourage people to continue to give and, and, and many many millions of people in this country do give of their own free will um, and let's let's make sure that if we're going to if we're going to require certain laws uh, regulations on people that they're only when we absolutely have to do so uh, like as we're discussing right perhaps a seatbelt law or something like that you get the last word in this segment we've encroached on our fourth segment time we'll be back in just a minute in the think tank Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We left, uh, now we're here talking about the, the intersection of religious, religion and politics and ethics and morals. And we left at a, a really kind of an interesting point, and that has to do with what it is legitimate to uh, ask government to force people to do. Now, uh, government is about forcing people to, I mean, when collect, we collect taxes for a, broad, a wide range of purposes, and uh, we don't have 100% agreement on any of those purposes. Rick suggested that perhaps we're spending a lot more 
on defense than he would like to see. Others would say we spend too much on schools or I mean, you, we, ha we have differences uh, in what uh, we consider acceptable. So it seems to me and I just by way of introducing back to this topic, it's not a question of whether government forces government forces you to pay taxes. And unless you're an anarchist, you buy into that. And then the argument becomes how much and for what purpose. And this is where I guess I would I would take the position that that it is very legitimate, in fact, even desirable that our religious and moral values should have something to say about where we where we uh, assess priorities. Somebody once said, and I thought it captured the essence of it. A budget is a moral document. Please jump in. Oh, it certainly is. And and. We have obligations as human beings, one to the other. In our tradition, in the Jewish tradition, we also have something called mitzvah. Mitzvah is not a good deed, as most people translate it. A mitzvah is a religious obligation. If you're Jewish, you have certain religious obligations that over the years have evolved out of Hebrew scriptures. These are not optional. Whether we choose to do them or not is optional. But the fact of the matter is that they exist because they give us the opportunity to do well and to do right. Uh, it, it, we have free will. We can choose not to observe the mitzvot, and that's fine in certain circumstances. But if it says in the Ten Commandments, and supposedly all of us here uh, agree to that, uh, that you shall not murder, then murdering is wrong. And it makes no difference whether it, you have a government that says murdering is wrong or you have a religious tradition that says murdering is wrong. Murdering, murder is wrong. If, it, if the obligation is to take care of our neighbor and love our neighbor as ourselves, whether we're reading it uh, from Hebrew scriptures or from Matthew, it doesn't make any difference. You still love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love your neighbor, then that means you don't love yourself. If you don't love yourself, then there's a whole psychiatric thing that we have to deal with which, of course, society doesn't deal with well. But the fact of the matter is that we have obligations. We have obligations to our, our planet for crying out loud. We've got this hurricane coming in, uh, which is going to be probably a Cat 4, Category 4, by the time it hits uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and, and that's being created by the fact that the waters in the Gulf are now 90 degrees, hotter than they've ever been which are creating these terrible storms and which will impact on the poorest among us. And then we will all go and shout, oh, well, where's FEMA when they're uh, supposed to be helping these folks? And FEMA says, oh, we don't have any money because we're fighting fires in California or because the president said, we're not sending you money in California because you didn't rake the leaves. It, it, that kind of, uh, of position is absolutely improper and immoral from my perspective. And also, uh, to, to that point, also in, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, we are asked to fast uh, at least once a month, usually on the first Sunday of a month, and take at least the amount uh, of equivalent, uh, equivalent amount of what we pay for mm -hmm. the, the meals that we fast, and you're going to appear to 24 hours, and donate to a fast offering uh, to alleviate uh, the kind of stress that happens in these in these hurricanes and fires and so forth, and as as is well documented, you know, literally millions and hundreds of millions of dollars have been spent over the last several years. Um, but again, as as Rabbi I think as well eloquently pointed out, uh, that's the law. 
Okay, people get a chance to choose whether or not they're going to abide by that law, and you know, and, and when we do so, we're blessed. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to become millionaires. That's not the point. We're blessed with the peace uh, and knowledge, knowing that that which God has asked us to do, we are following. And there's a certain peace that comes because we follow God uh, with 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 our behaviors and and our and our uh, thoughts. And and in, in addition, addition Hebrew scriptures say, "Choose life." That's our obligation. That's something we have to do. And and outside of the Hebrew scriptures, in the New Testament, you've got the Beatitudes. They are very, very clear. You blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake. Um, blessed are, are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if we are part of a religious organization that utilizes either the Hebrew Scriptures or the New Testament or the Book of Mormon, we are supposedly held responsible for our actions towards other people, and we are supposed to treat them properly, nicely, with respect. We are not supposed to hate them. We are not supposed to hate them because they're different than us and strange, or, or that they're just new to the country. Clearly, if you're religious, you you should believe that, I think. At least that's what your religion should be telling you, and it's got, not happening. We've got just two minutes left. I do want to ask Jerry a specific question. There was a, a Latter-day Saints for Trump's rally in Mesa, and in response to that, there was a letter— issued by a number of folks uh, who I, uh, including a, a number of them I know that are your friends, Jerry. I wonder if you'd, you'd comment on the letter and the rally and, and, and your, your views on all that. I think the first and most important thing is that had nothing to do with the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. The fact that certain members use the That's name right. of the church, the acronym for the church, is, is a, totally aside. The church, as, as has been stated earlier, is not a select candidate, does not tell us how to vote. Um, but there are some people that uh, I think erringly on both sides, and I know both sides well, chose to use the name of the church. Um, and uh, to me, I wish they hadn't done it. I wish both. I wish they had not done it, the 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 convention, the deal with Pence in the first place, and then and the need to feel like they had to follow up with a rebuttal to that. The church has no business in that kind of in that kind of error to send a message that somehow all Latter Day Saints uh, support this president or, or this candidate or whatever. We just don't. And that was, in fact, the. Uh... The gist of the beginning of the of, of the uh, letter, it said that uh, that rally uh, had the inference that it was a church endorsement, and we reject that. Right. Absolutely. So uh, we got we got one person. If anybody, I, we got one person. One quick comment. If not, we we're, we're out of time. I, I, I love the discussion. I really thank you all for it. Well, I, I thank all of you. We're, we. Uh, uh, we should do this again. Uh, these are basic core issues. And, uh, you know, we talk about, I, I think a lot of our politics is about moral statements, one side or the other. And, uh, and, and I think this is a, is a healthy uh, kind of uh, bridge to, to bring together. And uh, I thank you for joining us in the Think Tank. We'll return next week on another topic. Silver City
inside, and call them all.